difficulties that I had in the earlier service. So I think we're off to a little bit better start. But um, I'm going to start off, first of all, by saying thank you for coming out. The sun's out. The warmed up. It was really cold this morning. And uh, when I was in my job this week, I got to see lots of snow from above. I mean, if you, I started in the Wasatch down through the Sierra Nevadas, the Cascades, the Rocky Mountains, Sangre, everything is covered in white. And for somebody that used to love to get, and I still would like to, but to go skiing, I know that every lift is open and all the uh, powder is nice and thick. So uh, thank you that you didn't go skiing today. Okay. <laughs> the um, other thing I'm just going to... Uh, ask, start off with a question. And this is for us, how many times, or did it ever happen to you when you were growing up, that your parent volunteered you for something that you knew was challenging and was going to put you in the spotlight and you did not want to be there? It happened to me, all right? I see some heads nodding. And how many parents how many times have we put our children in the same, put our daughter or son in the same spot, knowing, number one, that they were capable, and second, that it would be good for them? I've done that too. And so I'm going to start off with this little story. Um, a few years ago, I was driving and taking my parents from Fort Worth where they lived to where we were going to be celebrating their wedding anniversary um, in um, Dallas. We were going down I-30 in Dallas, the turnpike. It was slow because it was rush hour. And then things started getting slower and slower and I had time to look and see in the lane across from me there was a tennis shoe just laying in the lane. Got up a little bit further, and I could see that there was a motorcycle laying on the ground. And a little bit further, and there certainly was a man laying on the pavement with, fortunately, his um, helmet on. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, there's been an accident, and there's a man, and he's lying on the road. And my dad said, Becky, get out of the car and go do something. So I did what my dad told me to do. I did uh, get out of the car and ran over to where the man was lying. There were two younger men standing, and they had been there first. And I said, so what, what do you all surmise? They said, well, he's, he's alive, and we think that we need to move him. I said, well, the cars have stopped, so why don't we just leave him here? I learned that from my Boy Scout training, okay? <laughs> um, and... Then I got down on my knees, grabbed his hand, and looked into his visor. And every once in a while, he would respond. And he would, I just told him while we were here, just, just stay settled. Um, are you in any pain? Um, help is on its way, and we are here to help you. Help is on its way. We are here to help you. A lady came who was, uh, she said she was a medical professional. She took a look of the situation, decided her 
her efforts and her abilities were not needed and she left us. And then another lady came and she was in her late 20s, early 20s maybe, and she came and she said, um, I see that there's an accident. And I said, yes. And she said, well, is it all right if I pray? And I said, of course, sit down here and pray. Um, I've been doing this, but I'm, you know, just here with him. So go ahead and pray. So she sat down, clapped her hands together and said, dear God, please comfort his family as they go through this sorrow. And dear God, please open your heart to him as he comes into your kingdom. <laughs> so... Needless to say, I was quickly trying to get her attention. No, this is not right. His eyes came wide open. <laughs> he looked directly at me and he said, I thought you said you were here to help me. <laughs> so, that um, fortunately, um, she just became silent. And in just a few more minutes, the EMTs did arrive. His name was James and I did find out that he did recover just fine. So that was my experience of being told to go do something, and you can hear how it turned out. But I love this that we're starting out in John, and this is the first uh, miracle that Jesus does in John, and it's interesting that his mom is there. But the thing about John, if we look at... Um, just some genealogies. Matthew starts a genealogy of Jesus with uh, Abraham. Abraham through David to Jesus to be the coming Messiah. Luke takes his all the way back to Abraham, I mean to Adam. And Adam, as the human race begins and down, down through um, his genealogy, to Jesus as being the perfect man. So in each of the Gospels, we see that it starts out with a vein of interpretation. And in John, the really good one, um, but in John, we take the genealogy of Jesus back to the very beginning. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word with was with God. So you get the impression right from the beginning of John that there is something very profound and also I love the word with and all through John you'll see the uh, a dimension of the with relationship embracing experiencing being in relationship and being in community because God is coming to be a part of our lives and to take us where he has wanted us to be. And today, we find ourselves at a wedding ceremony. And at a wedding ceremony, I can throw in a whole lot of symbolism. I'm not. I'm just going to give you a little bit of historical background. Um, I know most of you know that we just need to make sure we have a lot of wine. And in the... Um, <laughs> And in the uh, Jewish tradition, especially at the time of Jesus, you needed a lot of wine because the wedding went on for several days. The first day, the groom and his family would get together and they would go to um, the wife's, the bride's house and her family. 
and then they would all go together to the place where the wedding ceremony was going to be held. Now, mind you, this was planned usually in the fall for two reasons. Number one is the days are a little bit cooler. Number two is the harvest is in. We don't have to think about work. We can, all of us can go have a celebration. So day one starts with the bride and the groom arriving. The, um, there is a big meal that happens that day that is separate. The, the groom and his uh, men, or all the men, take part in that celebration of the first meal. And then the bride and her, the women all go to a separate place for a meal. And later in the evening, she goes to her quiet place with her close friends. We need wine for that day. So the next day, the uh, bride comes back. Everybody greets her, and then the groom comes, and they have the wedding ceremony. And then the bride and the groom go off to a special place. But we have a lot of celebration, and now all of us can be together. All of the families, the men and the women, the children, everybody are all together. And the next day, Maybe the bride and groom come back. If not, we're going to celebrate some more. But the, the thing is that this celebration is going to go on for three or four days. Um, it's interesting that John has this miracle and that this is the one that he starts his uh, gospel off of. But John is very, very deliberate in the miracles that he does record. At the very end of the chat of John's um, gospel, he finishes it by saying, I only put in here a few of the miracles that Jesus did. If you were to take all of them, the earth is not big enough to hold all the books that would be written. So obviously, uh, John is trying to be very intentional in the uh, words that he uses. And there's much symbolism in, uh, as I said, the wedding ceremony. And uh, the point that we're taking, though, to is wine. And if there's no wine, there's a lot of consternation. And here in Cana, you just can't leave the wedding ceremony and go down the street to get a few jars that hold 30 gallons of wine each, okay? So there is the dilemma. With the festivities extending for a few days, the groom and his family, with wine, maintained their reputation. Now, Mary is the one that gets it started. And I want us to pay attention to that. Mary says, they have no wine. And Jesus says, my time is not yet. And obviously, she doesn't hear him because then she tells the servants, just go and do what he says. And lo and behold, we have jars full of 30 gallons each of wine. And we know it was the best ever. It is so integral to this community that the celebration go on as expected. With wine, the groom and his family, they maintain their reputation. With wine... The bride and her family are able to fully enjoy the 
festivities and the whole celebration. With wine, the community comes together and forms a place that will support and nurture the new life that has started within. So you can see that God is reaching as strong as he can into community. Mary knows something of the calling of her son. She knows him. She voices the need and she instructs the wine, the slaves to do what he says. And that way, the relationships are protected. The wedding celebration becomes significant as a place where grace is fully experienced and fully engaged. Mary says they need wine. Jesus responds, God is pleased. And from that very short time of a wedding celebration in Cana, the world of our life begins to change and is changed forever. Amen. Amen.